Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. You're with Bruce Torres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. World Stage indeed, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to talk for a minute about doortofreedom.org, which is a site created by medical doctors, lawyers, scientists, and citizens who believe in do no harm, the Hippocratic Oath, human rights as defined in international law, freedom and human dignity, and live not by lies. Uh, Meryl Nass is a leader in this uh, site and in this organization. And just get there. If, you're, if you don't know doortofreedom.org, check them out. Uh, they've got an About Us page. You, are you new here? And this is what's on it. I'm just going to do this for a minute. This is the article by Dr. Merrill Nass explaining how the proposed pandemic treaty from the WHO will increase man-made pandemics. That's the first thing they recommend that you dig into. And then another link, international health regulations. This is the existing international law that is being amended to remove human rights and add in censorship while countries would give up the management of pandemics to the World Health Organization. If countries do not actively reject these amendments, they will become international law in 194 countries in early 2025. Again, that's doortofreedom.org, an incredible effort, an incredible resource, if only to discover and dig into the great work by Dr. Merrill Nass. With me this hour is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, a PhD in economics, who was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the Reagan administration, associate editor and columnist for the Wall Street Journal, columnist for Business Week, the Scripps Howard News Service, and Creators Syndicate. He is the author of many books, including Empire of Lies, The Neoconservative Threat to World Order, how America was lost from 9-11 to the police warfare state and the failure of laissez-faire capitalism. Dr. Roberts has testified before Congress on 30 occasions, and he is the chairman of the Institute for Political Economy at paulcraigroberts.org, a site which gets millions of visitors every year. Thank you very much for joining me today. Craig, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Pleased to be with you. My honor, I assure you. And to organize my thoughts, so excited I am to talk with you about all you've done, all you know, all you've published. I Like I wrote you, briefly summarizing, I thought we'd start with unless you've got something top of mind, like I wrote you, the history of our police warfare state. As much as you want to flesh that out, where would you start? It's a challenging question. And like I also framed it to you, versus 
the constitutional republic we were originally created at, and we still give lip service to being, because I think when more people know the distinction and the reality versus the the pretending that we're still doing. So what, what would you start to share with me along those lines? Oh, I tell you, that's a huge question. Uh, too much for an hour. <laughs> uh, you know, I think what most people think of as a police state is where you cannot speak the truth. And so censorship is very much uh, a feature of a police state. Of course, it has other features, but uh, censorship is uh, certainly a very powerful element of a police state. And without it, you probably couldn't have a police state. Well, if we look at it from the standpoint of censorship, we've had a police state almost from, from the beginning. Uh, President uh, John Adams <laughs> passed the Alien and Sedition Act, which was entirely uh, uh, designed to uh, suppress uh, any criticism of him. <laughs> it was to uh, impose censorship. I think he was our second president. I think, wasn't it John Adams that followed? Oh, yeah, Washington? he was He was the second, yeah. Okay, so we've had a, a we, we began the police state <laughs> as, as soon as George Washington was out of office. Now, of course, John Adams was followed by Thomas Jefferson, and Thomas Jefferson repealed the the uh, the act of a police state. And of course, uh, it came back with uh, Lincoln. <laughs> it was Abe Lincoln who uh, locked up two or three hundred northern newspaper editors who disagreed uh, with his invasion of the South. Um, uh, we had, uh, again, with Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> uh, we had, again, with Roosevelt. Uh, but it never really uh, hung in. It didn't, and it didn't really develop beyond uh, the temporary periods of censorship. But when it really started full-fledged, I think, was uh, under... It was the turn of the 21st century with George W. Bush and Cheney. Uh, I think that's when the attack on the Constitution from within the government, from within Washington itself, I don't mean from academics at Harvard and Yale and Berkeley, uh, that, that's been going on forever. <laughs> but from within the government, I think uh, the 21st century began the real construction of the police state. Because if you will remember, uh, the war on terror was declared, and the war on terror became the rationale, the justification uh, for all sorts of assaults on uh, the Bill of Rights. For example, George W. Bush, as president, declared that he had the authority to uh, arrest and detain American citizens indefinitely without due process of law. In other words, he said he can set aside habeas corpus and I can throw you in a dungeon and keep you there 
without presenting any evidence, just like a medieval lord. And then he was followed by President Obama, who said that not only can I throw you in a dungeon uh, on suspicion alone, but I can also kill you on suspicion alone. I can kill an American citizen on suspicion alone without due process of law. Well, these are major, uh, <laughs> major developments in the construction of a police state when the executive announces he has the power of uh, life and death over you and you have no protection of law. Well, it's gone on from there. You know, we've had all kinds of acts, the Patriot Act, and it gets renewed and passed again, and so on and so on. And and as you were uh, as you were uh, saying in your introduction to the program today, we now face with the uh, World Health Organization uh, taking over the uh, uh, medical policies of the countries on Earth. And we can see all sorts of tyranny and police state activity in that. And I think we've kind of reached the point where liberty has been under attack for so long that large numbers of people don't believe in it anymore. The belief system is being eroded. When you, when you see jurists, judges, Attorney generals, <laughs> presidents, members of Congress, law schools, and they they don't uh, feel comfortable defending the Constitution and all its amendments. Then you, what you're seeing is the erosion of a belief system, and when the beliefs are gone, they're gone, and the system is gone with them. And so I think that we have in the last 24 years seen a massive erosion in the structure of beliefs that uphold a society in which truth is important and truth is used to hold governments accountable. Because you see now a full-scale assault on truth. Who's in trouble today? Is it the liars? It's the truth tellers. Every one of them is in trouble. All of them are in trouble. Uh, Julian Assange has been held uh, in one form of captivity or the other for a decade simply for publishing leaked material uh, sh showing um, Washington's war crimes, Washington's deceptions of his allies, the numerous lies that told everybody and so on and so on. Well, that's simply practicing journalism. That's what a journalist is supposed to do. That's what Ellsberg did when he released the Pentagon Papers to the New York Times. But you see, in that short period between the Vietnam War and the war in Iraq, a journalist can no longer tell the truth without being held in confinement. Now, Think about it. Julian Assange has never been charged. He's never been convicted, and yet he has been incarcerated in one form or another for a decade. 
<laughs> this is straight out of the dark ages. When the feudal lord could pick up somebody and throw them in the dungeon, and that was that. So I'm not um, very happy <laughs> about how the world has so rapidly degenerated into a police state in which the truth is suppressed, suppressed by Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, for a while by Twitter until Elon Musk got it, by YouTube, by the New York Times, CNN, Fox News, <laughs> the BBC, ABC, NBC, CBS. Who mm -hmm. doesn't suppress truth? There are a few people, and they're on the alt alternate media, and it's hard to find them. <laughs> because you do a search and Google makes it very difficult to find. So I think that um, from all practical definitions, uh, we have a police state now. And it's not just in the United States. It's throughout the Western world. It's all of Europe. Yeah. It's Canada. It's, it's Australia. It's New Zealand. And so we have a very curious situation where the countries that advertise themselves as democracies and hmm. defenders of human rights, and uh, they are literally police states. Yes. And luckily, today's news talk TNT launched a couple years ago, going on two years. And we've had about, we've had over 10 million downloads so far. And trying to chase you, Craig, for years of publishing comprehensive analyses like you just shared, but very, 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 very detailed, well-documented. I'm reading your book, Empire of Lies, and just, I, I've been studying these kind of things for about 15 years, 16 years, and yet love to still, you know, learn from someone like you who was in the belly of the beast and is so, you have such a broad perspective, you have a, such a comprehensive history, and you have such uh, a scholarly way of marshalling the facts and the evidence in all your articles at your site, paulcraigroberts.org. And um, we're going to take a break in a minute and try to dissect some of the things you talked about, add in some more, fleshing it out, because every capture of a conversation like this we must believe, and I do believe, it contributes to the resources out there to wake up more people because our, our greatest hope, if not our only hope, is trying to create a critical mass of real human beings who want to live in peace and with health and with fairness under a government that works for them and we, we are so far down a bad, bad rabbit hole. With me is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, and we are talking about the police state that America and so much of the West has become. 
And now here is important information from today's News Talk TNT. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, WEF spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around so that's not really taking off the way they want to either and then she said something very interesting she said you know what when the water crisis comes people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water and if you don't have water for a few days at a time you'll know all about it so maybe you know we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a world economic forum type narrative could this be what it is locked and loaded with rick munn on today's news talk tnt radio the light is britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies no that's what the bbc say the light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today you can subscribe order copies submit articles and read back issues on our website thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts is with me. He's the chairman of the Institute for Political Economy at paulcraigroberts.org, which has millions of visitors every year. And thinking about the really great mini history you just gave me about America's experience as a police state leapfrogging over some periods of such censorship and then turning a corner around 9-11 with the USA Patriot Act, Department of Homeland Security, and all the provisions in force that, are, that keep us in so-called emergencies to justify the ignoring of our constitutional rights. Talk to me about something you described toward the end there, which is the the law schools, the teachers, the professors, the judges, the lawyers, and the media. Where, okay. where are they not? Why are they not doing their job howling? about the the uh, abandonment and the offenses against the Constitution and our rights? Well, their definition of their job has changed. Um, they no longer see the Constitution in a positive way. For many, many years, uh, members of law schools have reinterpreted the Constitution as a racist document used to ensure white supremacy. 
And initially, this was just a few kooks, and the law schools tolerated them because they were for diversity. They didn't want to suppress other opinions. In other words, they didn't want to censor nonsense. <laughs> but it um, gained traction, and now it seems to be um, a majority opinion that the U.S. Constitution is in the way of equity. And it's holding the country back from achieving justice. And we know that uh, this has spread beyond the law schools. It's, for example, in the New York Times 1619 project which uh, interprets uh, the Constitution as a document that set up America as a racist slave, slaver state, and uh, that the United States is, is uh, founded on slavery, and that it was the purpose of the Constitution uh, to justify what had happened, you know, some 150 years before the Constitution was written. So it's been abandoned. I don't know what the field of constitutional law is today. Um, but when you lose belief in your foundation, you are adrift. Uh, what are you? See, the United States is the Constitution. So if the Constitution is uh, shredded, discarded, ignored, thrown away, whatever, so is the country. Yeah. If we don't have a Constitution, we're some other country. Yes, and, and we... Go ahead. Yeah, well, um, but it just the 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 across the board long term ignoring of the Constitution and my research of particulars reveals to me a level of corruption as well as adopting an ideology along the lines that you've described. Um, what? What are your thoughts or impressions about the, the motivation for the institutions that you've described adopting, going down uh, the path of the ideology you described? Is it's not it it doesn't it's not compelling in terms of <laughs> you know reality, sanity, fairness. Um, do, do, I guess simply just do you see have you seen corruption as as a as a motivation for the uh, road we're going down? Well, the corruption of power. For example, the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment, uh, which reserves all powers to the states that are not explicitly given to the central government. That's, <clears throat> I think, every jurist, every constitutional lawyer, I think, believes that's a dead letter amendment. That it, it, cease to exist at the Civil War, or what they call the Civil War, which itself is a lie because it was not the Civil War. 
A civil war is when two sides fight over control of the government. Well, the South wasn't fighting to control the government in Washington. It had seceded just like the colonists had seceded from King George. It had its own government. It didn't care what Washington was doing. And it was invaded by Lincoln because he needed the South to pay the tariff to finance Northern industry. And the reason the South left the Union was they weren't going to pay the tariff to finance Northern industry. Well, there hasn't been a 10th Amendment since. And essentially, states don't have the powers that the Constitution gives them. They no longer can even control their own education policy. This, this is now controlled by Washington. So, however you look at it, when you lose a piece of the Constitution here and you say, oh, well, and then you lose a piece here and it, it's not, as, as time passes, you just get mm. custom to pieces of the Constitution fall. <laughs> and the law schools accept it and, and they give the reasons why we don't need that piece anymore and, and they go on. So I think the corruption uh, was power, the federal government wanted the power. Uh, Lincoln had to have it in order to conduct the war. And for Lincoln, the goal was empire. Well, I, um, I, yeah. You give away I, half your empire, you let, you let half your empire go, <laughs> then you got a competing country for the West, which was still in the hands of the Plains Indians and the Comanches and so on and so on. So I think that uh, it's that like, uh, the old saying goes, power corrupts. And I think power corrupted the Constitution. It was one of the things that corrupted it. And I want to ask you, I just want to uh, explore Lincoln for a minute. Um, over, over the years, I've read much to support your assertion that Lincoln wanted empire, more or less, uh, that whole, that interpretation of, of what he did. And I'm enjoying what I'm reading lately of uh, historian and independent uh, journalist Anton Chaitkin of his praise and appreciation of Alexander Hamilton's economic system, which Henry Clay and Lincoln espoused, took up the baton and espouses the American system. And are you familiar with those kind of arguments that, uh that kind of that do defend lincoln as no no he simply wanted to restore the union he saw the secession as the rebellion that that con constitutionally he was empowered to uh do all that he could to suppress a rebellion um what you said declares your interpretation of that but what are your thoughts about uh 
what I just described. They're, they're endless apologists for Lincoln, endless apologists for him. Um, they even claim that it was a war over slavery, and he was this great moral leader, and he went to free the slaves. And um, of course, uh, uh, the day he was inaugurated in his inauguration speech, uh, he endorsed the amendment to the Constitution that the Congress had just passed, which gave the South constitutional protection or doubled the constitutional protection of slavery forever if they would stay in the union and pay the tariff. <laughs> That's in his inaugural speech. Yes, you can have all the slavery you want, just stay in the union, pay the tariff. I think that's the end of the story. What else is there? <laughs> he says, I have no intention to end slavery, neither do I think I have the power to do so. This, this is Lincoln's own words before the invasion. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now, okay, is all the South rebels? Yes, in the same sense, the colonists were rebels. The colonists rebelled from King George. The South rebelled from the Union. It's quite all right for the colonists to do it, but not for the South. Why? It's the same principles. And that's right. the way it's seen in the South. It's the way the South saw it. In fact, that's the way two or three hundred northern newspaper editors saw it, which is why Lincoln clamped down on them and threw them in a dungeon in violation of habeas corpus to silence them. So and you as know, you know, I, have no pa I have no patience with these apologists. Well, I think they're all frauds. I think they're all frauds. And it was the Republican Party that created Lincoln as some great hero. Then, yeah, the real hero, Thomas Jefferson, is constantly under attack, isn't he? Oh. He had sex with his slave. He's this, he's that, he's, well, he, Jefferson is the one that defended liberty. <laughs> it took Jefferson to overthrow John Adams' Alien and Sedition Act of censorship. So, you know, Hamilton was a great fan of central power. And he was trying to build a powerful central government. And Jefferson it's, was trying to have a limited central government with the power in the states. I, um, I was... And that's the conflict. This, this has gone on, but I think now it's gone past that. And here's well, my explanation. I'm going to give you this explanation. How have the liberals generally pursued reform? Certainly things have been reformed, things have needed to be reformed, 
we've had reforms. But how did they pursue these reforms? Usually through denunciation of the existing situation. So when you, when you pursue improvement through the denunciation of what exists, you're undercutting what exists. You're undercutting, instead of building on your traditions and saying, look, here's where we are. We've done all these good things. We've got another good thing to do. But instead you come up, you damn the system, you demonize it, and you use that to extract agreement to another reform. Well, you're undermining the system. And this is the whole way liberals have always pursued reform is by denouncing what exists. Well, when you denounce something for 250 years, you kind of wear it out. I wrote about this, oh, a half a century ago. I wrote about this. And I just came across the article the other day unpacking books that have been packed up for decades. I said, oh, I got to get this out, reread it, and write this again. But that's an important part of the story. If you pursue progress through denouncing what exists, you undermine your culture. You undermine, you don't, you're not building on a tradition of mm -hmm. progress. You're undermining, you're undermining, you're undermining. And this mindset now is very hard. And that's why you see everything is demonization. We, we now, white people are demonized. White people are now demonized. So, because we're, we're racist and misogynist and yeah, when you, we are. You, yeah, we're we're definitely being fire hosed. Uh, lots of reasons to to split into camps with great demonization of every side against every side, and you were describing, you know, the the denunciation of America for two hundred and fifty years. We're going to take a break in a minute, and on the other side, I'll recap kind of, I do want to defend what I've read um, in defense of the American system, Hamilton system. It was, if it was to create a strong central government, the, the, his engine was to create um, a very, very strong economy where farmers, people in the South, merchants, traders could all benefit from monetary policies that um, would lift up all. And I'm well aware of your PhD in economics and your long career in it. And I'm kind of terrified at trying to uh, make some points on the other side of uh, this important information from today's News Talk TNT. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. 
the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Too many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks, and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. With me is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under President Reagan, Chairman of the Institute for Political Economy at paulcraigroberts.org, a site that gets millions of visitors each year. You are my honored guest, and I endeavor to be a gracious host who listens exquisitely, Craig. And I heard you say you have no patience for these kind of apologists. So if you will allow me to briefly summarize what we've talked about so I can take advantage of your vast experience and wisdom and perspective that I admire so wholeheartedly about the state of the country, the, the things ahead. that are strangling right. us. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um Anton Chaitkin, and he's my primary because I'm reading him currently. But other authors like Nancy Spanhouse, who wrote Hamilton versus Wall Street. Boy, oh boy. Once you finish unpacking and settling in, you know, it'd be fascinating if I could say in 60 or 90 seconds enough about their praise of Hamilton's American system that plants a seed in your mind that you were able to, you know, but I'll, I'll make the best case I can right now, that it was implemented during Washington's administration. 
John Quincy Adams, Abraham Lincoln, I think some McKinley, even Warren Harding a little, and then FDR and then John Kennedy, which were tariffs in order to as one strategy to, to encourage domestic manufacturers so that the country could be truly economically independent. And here's the running battle described in American history as Anton Chaitkin unfolds it, especially his most recent book, Who We Are, which is volume one of two more to come, that typified by the fact that Benjamin Franklin was in England for 17 or 18 years before the revolution. And his circle of people and friends over there helped develop the technology that led to the steam engine, which really launched the Industrial Revolution, which really launched Britain's capacity to manufacture, uh, leading the world. And the forces of empire that wanted to control us as colonies and all of Britain's colonies, to this day, do not want a world of independent sovereign nations where they all have the technology to create economic prosperity by being able to be self-sufficient economies, manufacturing, trading with commerce among themselves, and then trading with commerce with the other nations of the world as they care to without being coerced. And that's the big picture of the battle between those who would be empire and exploit others and the preciousness of the American founding and the American example of those administrations wanting that not only for America, but also wanting that for the rest of the world. Franklin Roosevelt's good neighbor policy, what John F. Kennedy was doing with the Alliance for Progress. I know I've said enough for you to get the drift of where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I, I know all of this. I've heard it all many times. You know, incidentally, when I was uh, young, uh, I was a Hamiltonian. When I was in high school, uh, oddly enough, it wasn't a history teacher. It was our English teacher. And she assigned us to read Hamilton and Jefferson. And then we had to write an essay taking one side or the other. And I was convinced by Hamilton. And the reason I think I was convinced was Hamilton created the picture of a powerful empire like Rome, a Roman empire, to go with all the columned buildings, marble column buildings that were in Washington. And a powerful America that, that would be felt in the world, which is, of course, exactly the opposite of what George Washington said. <laughs> we stay away and stay home, tend to our business. So I was a Hamiltonian uh, from my first exposure to them both, because Jefferson, it seemed like we would never really be a world power and so on. And, but uh, once I got out of Georgia Tech and wasn't worrying about math and calculus and engineering and, and began learning other things and, uh, and began experiencing uh, things like in Washington and the congressional staff and later in the treasury and see how things really work. Then I could see uh, all the wisdom in Jefferson and understood that Hamilton was basically deluded. Now, 
Why was he deluded? Not just because this is, this is some uh, fight between free trade and tariffs. That was part of the South secession. They were free traders that didn't want tariffs because they were gonna pay them. It's gonna be at their expense. They weren't going to benefit. We're gonna pay for the North to benefit. That's how they saw it. But that's part of the story, free trade and tariffs that goes on. Uh, but, and of course, for conservatives, a big government is always dangerous because it can take too much power and oppress us. But what is the real, the worst problem of big government is that it becomes an attractive target to be captured by powerful private interest, as ours is captured, totally captured. And the private interests use the government to advance their self-serving private agendas. And that is in always, that is always the result of big government. It becomes a way that you can succeed without having to compete economically. You use the government. And so our government is totally captured. Look, just yep. think about the military security complex. Oh, this is defending us. How is it defending us? Our borders are wide open. We're overrun by immigrant invaders. <laughs> Biden is giving orders to, to the state of Texas to cut the fence, cut the fence, let them in. Well, why are we worried about the Chinese or the Iranians or the Russians? We are to look, look at Big Pharma, the COVID pandemic. This was a hoax. The vaccine, a complete lie. Yeah. Lots of people dead, injured permanently. From the power of one industry. So you start adding up the power of all these industries, energy, pharmaceuticals, military security complex, agribusiness, on and on and on. That's the government. There isn't any Hamilton American system. The American system is you're governed by the most powerful economic interests who control the government. Who in, who in the world do you think sits in charge of the economic, of the uh, EPA? The Environmental Protection Agency, the big right. industry polluters. Yeah, yeah. Are you well, are you follow, are you following what Bobby Kennedy Jr. is proclaiming as his uh, stand on the issues and reasons why he should be president? Are you following his candidacy? I I was until he came out justifying the Israeli genocide in in Gaza. I thought that this was a it just didn't fit anything that I associated with him. So I said, oh, my God, why, why did he have to go do that? Let's talk about that in a minute. But I want to zero in on him reflecting what you described about the big interests that use our government. I'm satisfied that's a decent definition of fascism. Thank you, Benito Mussolini. That's, you know, he said it's the blending of corporate and state power. And as you 
write so well in, in your various essays, articles on your site, paulcraigroberts.org, in your book, Empire of Lies. One of the first early chapters ends with to think that an election is going to solve what's uh, destroying America is naive. I love what what Bobby Kennedy was saying since April when he declared his ca- candidacy. And then two two things, his wholehearted support of, of Israel just really bothers me because I aggressively dove into it through the writings of the likes of Jeremy Hammond and, and others to get up to speed with, well, Bruce, it's, it's finally time to get up to speed, with, you know, with uh, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And it's, it's a, it's a huge anomaly compared to his, what Kennedy's thorough understanding and wisdom about what America should be, what's wrong with us in terms of the ills of being captured by big interests that control the regulatory agencies that are supposed to be protecting us. So I'm just describing my how, how and why I agree with, with your assessment. In our maybe six minutes left, at the, at the risk of short-circuiting a, a reply from you right now, Craig, the floor is yours. Or what, could, what, are your, what are your best thoughts, hopes, wishes, fantasies about what could turn the ship of state around back toward anything like sanity or freedom or peace, health, prosperity? Help. <laughs> you know, on that, I'm... Um... I'm a pessimist because I think the belief system is gone. I think the belief in what the founding fathers had in mind as a country with um, government constrained by the Constitution and held accountable to the people, I think that belief is gone. You cannot find it in the universities, the law schools, or the media. What does the media tell the truth about? Nothing. Um, Can you turn this system around? Look what happened to Trump for simply saying he was going to do it. (laughs) People, all of Trump's problems come from two things. He said he was going to normalize relations with Russia. So he's telling the military security complex, I'm taking your enemy away. And they said, my God, there goes our budget and our power. Get him. And then he said, I'm taking, he he said at his first inaugural address, he said, I'm taking the power away from you people and giving it back to, to the people. He was talking to the congressional Washington establishment sitting there, get him. So what did Russia gate, two fake impeachments, document gate, stripper gate, is endless. Now four indictments plus civil suits. You know, that in New York, they're trying to take away his real estate empire. Mm-hmm. So if this can ha- happen to a president, while he's in office, insurrection gate, document gate, stripper gate, Russia gate, he's in office and they can do this to the president. Yep. 
how is anybody going to be able to take them on? Who is who can they appoint? Suppose Trump gets back in. Who's he going to appoint? There's nobody in Washington that would support him. If he tries to, if he could find anybody who would take the risk, he won't be able to get them confirmed in office. The Senate simply won't confirm them. As as pessimistic now, as let me finish. As, I'm going to okay. finish this. Because what happened to John F. Kennedy? Nobody in his right mind believes he was assassinated by Oswald. Why was he killed? Because he was working with Khrushchev in the Cold War. He had seen how close you can be come to total destruction of the earth. He was taking away the enemy. Now I'll tell you what Watergate was really about. Nixon was doing the same thing, John F. Kennedy. What did Nixon do? He opened to China. Oh, the communist China. He was making all kinds of peace deals, armament reductions with the Soviets, SALT-1, the anti-ballistic missile trip. He's taking away the enemy. Well, they had just killed Kennedy. No, and already there were people saying it didn't happen the way the Warren Commission said. It's most certainly didn't. Mm -hmm. How can they kill Nixon right on top of him? So they, ah, we'll kill him in the press. So they orchestrate gate and drive him out of office. The, the enemy that's going to kill comes along and they drive him out. So you tell me, we've had three presidents. And Nixon was, of course, the best informed foreign policy, foreign affairs president we've ever had. And they all presented Kennedy, of course, as a martyr because he was killed by the commie. And the other two presented as tyrants and dictators. Now, so you tell me, how are you going to turn this around? <laughs> I can't. I can tell you, Craig, we're down to our, our last minute. So. I want to brag on your Institute for Political Economy, what you publish at paulcraigroberts.org. Um, and, and, you know, in the next minute, less than a minute, what are you working on? What are you looking forward to publishing or studying in the upcoming months and in in, in this year? Did you follow my question, Paul? Um, I didn't know. I, I thought you told me what you were going to be doing. I, I, uh, well, I, uh, I did convolute my, uh, my, uh, statement into a question that I don't blame you for losing track of. I just want to thank you so much for your decades of great work. Reading you as a treat. I don't agree with many things that you said here. It's funny. I think I agree with every one of your conclusions, I would quibble. I would love to wrestle with you about Hamilton. I'm going to keep reading and studying that because um, it's a lifelong fascination. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, findable at paulcraigroberts.org. And this is today's News Talk TNT.